Hello and welcome to the Campaign Podcast. I'm Imogen Watson, Work and Inspiration Editor. As Tuesday marked World Menopause Day, in this edition of the Campaign Podcast, we'll be discussing what action Adlan should take to normalise menopause in the workplace, how advertisers continue to ignore midlife women, and how, despite waking up to the market potential, some mainstream brands are exploiting women's fears and insecurities during this vulnerable time. Joining me today is Helen Normoyle, a mentor with Wackle and co-founder of My Menopause Centre, an online clinic and community empowering women to take control of their menopause. Writer and editor Jen Small and Kate Harris, Regional Director of NAPS, the support organisation for the advertising and media industry. Welcome. Thanks for coming on. Now, Kate, last World Menopause Day, you wrote a piece. In it, you encouraged Adland to ask those affected in your organisation uh, how they should be supported as they go through one of the most significant life changes they'll ever experience. How does menopause affect women, transgender and non-binary people, both personally and professionally? Um, well, I can only speak, I can only, or should only speak, probably as a punter, so as somebody who's been through it and was working in the industry at the time. Um, I still work in the industry, um, but in a slightly different way. Um, I was talking to somebody about this earlier, and I think part of the problem was I didn't really understand. I didn't really understand anything about the menopause, and you don't necessarily know anything about the menopause until you're going through it yourself. And that's partly because people don't talk about it. Um, for, for me, um, it was a bit of a shock because I hadn't thought about it. Maybe I thought, oh, it won't happen to me. There are people out there who do think that, people who are less educated about the menopause. Um, and it hit me because I was presenting to a room full of 20-year-olds in February and was just pouring with sweat. And I was acutely embarrassed. I couldn't ask for the aircon to be turned on because everybody was freezing cold. I felt, just felt hugely embarrassed and I knew that my face was red and everything else. So, I mean, that's just one example of it, of it happening. I had really bad, mm. um, uh, in, my, in, in my perimenopause, really, really bad periods and terrible things happening um, in the middle of meetings, all that kind of stuff. Uh, so those are kind of physical manifestations. But I think the mental side is uh, as, if not more important, you or I, I've talked from personal experience, started to think I don't really know who I am anymore I used to be really on the ball some people might say I've never been on the ball but I think I was reasonably <laughs> on the ball I started to lose my keys I started to go out for lunch and forget my purse or go shopping and then have to drive all the way home and then all the way back again to pick up my shopping and pay for it and it was like this isn't me what on earth is going on and I swear I didn't make the connection I just thought oh well I don't know what's going on um but then I started to talk about it. But I think talking about it is difficult, um, but it's really important. Helen and I were talking, I think it was Helen and I, or it may have been someone else earlier today, talking about being brave in talking about it. I think you do still have to be brave in order to do it, but it would be great to get to the point where it's not about bravery. It's actually quite normal for us to do it. I, I have a tendency to ramble. That might be a fact of being menopausal as well. <laughs> You're saying all the things I already do. <laughs> so I'm worried. It is really it is really nice to be able to share those things. And I think equally importantly is to be able to share them with your partner. And I was really bad at that. I was really bad at that because um, I A, I didn't really understand what was happening. And probably B, I didn't really want to admit to what was happening. Thought, oh, a bit like my mother, who is a very is a very brave woman, just kind of got on with it. I think I was brought up to just kind of get on with things. 
that's not necessarily the right thing to do. And then if you hide things from your partner, how can you expect them to empathise with you and support you? And likewise with your colleagues. Um, I don't know if I've answered the question there, Imogen. I've just had a, no, you had fully, a bit of a ramble there. Sorry. I think it's amazing how many women say um, that, you know, they've masked their symptoms. They haven't talked about it. Um, they have, you know, lived with it in silence for, um, you know, maybe a year or more before they've actually said anything about it, um, which, again, is just part of society's, um, I guess, you know, the the kind of stigma that we have around menopause. And that's why it needs to be, you know, taboos need to be broken and it needs to be out there um, mm. however it can be. Because I'm very close with my mum and she went through it for 10, 10 years mm. and I'm only just finding out about it now, really. Mm. It's, it's yeah. quite, uh, That's another element, isn't it? The education mm. of women who, um, you know, are not even approaching menopause, but, you know, mm. teenagers, you mm. know, we talk to teenagers about puberty. We talk to them about all different aspects of sexual health and mental and emotional health. Mm. We don't educate them about menopause and the fact that obviously half of society is going to go through this um, life stage um, and they, they are going to go through it. Um, so at it comes some as point. a shock. <laughs> it comes as a shock and uh, we don't know what the symptoms are. We don't know how to deal with it. Um, we don't see it in, you know, in advertising or in the media um in movies mm. um mm. so um yeah we need to we need to change that mm. the same goes for things like endometriatus and and all those sort of things that again you say in school you learn about mm. sexual health and whatnot but I didn't have any idea about that no and it's only that's through true. talking to other people going through it mm. and then realizing you're not alone it's a similar thing it's a sort of it's a sort of constant but it's we're hopefully in schools talking about it more now yes yeah and that's what that's what we need to get I think for a lot of young women, they feel it's something that's going to happen so many decades from now that they, they think they'll tune into it when, they're, when, when it's their time, so to speak. And so I think the engagement and the route into having the conversation needs to be a different one. And it might be multi-stranded, but it's one around in understanding the menopause and the impact that it can have on people. It'll help you to be more empathetic and more compassionate to the people around you who are experiencing those symptoms. That could be your mom, it could be your aunt, it could be a colleague at work. You know, it could, you know, that there. Think of how many women over the age of forty or forty-five do you know, and then it's very likely that they are at some stage of the menopause transition. And I think that's a an important route in for for men as well, because we 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 rightly speak a lot about the need for men to be in the conversation, um, and I think. You know, men who have partners of a certain age get that, you know, it's, it's brilliant to see, see the change that's happened. But I think it's the same thing with younger men. And I think so much of this comes back to just listening and listening with compassion and empathy. And then by educating yourself, you, you, you'll just be, you know, a better friend, a better colleague, you know, because, you know, my mom and I didn't, like it's only now when I set up my menopause center that my parents and I started talking about menopause and it's sorry, my dad's 80 he's Irish he's very traditional so um, he does he does have <laughs> a funny look in his face and I do we will talk about vaginal dryness or bladder symptoms or something <laughs> it's like he's got a good sense of humor but these, yeah. I, I, you know these are we, these are conversations that we need to have and I have two boys and they're 12 and 16 and so they're well used to you know, I had to leave my son, my son's um, parents' evening. I had to go out for some fresh air, and my my son said, you know, it, it's very sensitive for him. He said, "That's because of your hot flushes, mum." <laughs> but yeah, but it's it's just by really making it a normal and natural thing to do. And I suppose 
there are so many women going through symptoms at the moment that are just not able to do it because they're not in a good place. And I think if you've been through it and you've come through it, I feel, and I, and I, 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 I really struggled for a while with, with, with my symptoms and I feel we have a duty of care to those women to extend our hands back to them to help pull them out um, so that they, they, they will experience a better environment and a more supportive environment. Because when you're in that dark place, you know, we know that suicide levels peak for women mid-40s to mid-50s, and they won't all be menopause, but menopause symptoms will definitely be, be a driver because, you know, symptoms around mood of depression and anxiety um, increase. About half of women who go through menopause will experience those symptoms. Um, and, but even if you know that it's not you, you're not going mad, you're not, you don't have early onset dementia, it's hormones and you can do something, that is such a relief. To know that you're not, you know, if you have a grandparent or a parent who's got dementia, it can be very front of mind for you to think that, oh my God, is this hereditary? Have I got it too? It's highly unlikely. The incidence is tiny. So, sorry, it's, it's just, I think by, by having these conversations, it's brilliant that campaign is doing this, um, but we need to have them everywhere so that it's very matter of fact. I think it's interesting you bring up the mental health aspect to it because I know people going through it who have ended up in antidepressants and gone through that. I still feel like that's still not very much talked about within we're learning about hot flushes and whatnot, but there still seems to be a sort of lack of understanding there. Yeah, and I think there's a really high incidence of um, you know misdiagnosis, um, and hopefully that's changing now as um, you know GPs become more and more aware. But there's a misdiagnosis issue around menopause where um, menopausal women have been prescribed um, antidepressants, mm-hmm. um, where you know they perhaps you know shouldn't have been mm-hmm. um, because you know the, the menopause has been has been mistaken for depression mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, rather than you know, being described HRT. And and HRT and Jenna's absolutely right, because in that situation, um, HRT would probably be a much better solution because it will look at the lower levels of estrogen holistically in a woman's body and and help with that. Um, But just by educating yourself and knowing if you, some some people's brains are more sensitive to hormonal changes. And if you understand that about yourself, then, you know, forewarned is forearmed. Uh, as, as they say. Before Helen, you mentioned my menopause centre. Can you tell our listeners a bit more about about that? When how, when you set it up and what goes on? Yeah, sure. So uh, I launched my menopause centre uh, just over a year ago with um, a really good friend of mine who is a menopause doctor. Um, she is Dr. Claire Spencer, and our kids went to school together. And uh, as I was going through menopause, as I said, you know, this is several years ago. I really struggled to get information and advice that wasn't medical that basically my brain could take in and that I and that I could understand um and I struggled with different types of HRT you know I, I started with you know um with supplements that did diddly squat for me frankly um and then you know moved on to trying HRT but my GP wasn't particularly well informed so anyway I ended up chatting to Claire and she helped me enormously because she really understands menopause and symptoms and treatment so after many cups of coffee and wine and glasses of wine, we, we decided during COVID to take the plunge and set up my menopause center. So th- there are a couple of different things that we do. One, we have a website um, that we've created that has loads of free information and advice on all things menopause. We look at 40 symptoms, their causes and treatment options. We have a load of free information about HRT, pros, cons, you know, because our, our mantra is knowledge is power and it's about empowering women. Um, we've created a free menopause questionnaire that gives you a personalized assessment. And again, you don't have to opt into any marketing communications. We're very careful because we don't want to be seen to be monetizing off 
the really tough situation that women are going through. So all of that is for free. And that was designed so that if you were struggling to understand if you were menopausal, if your symptoms were linked to menopause or struggling to, to help your doctor understand what was going on for you, you could do this assessment. It's a very rigorous algorithm. It's based on a medically driven decision tree. Um, and it will give you, get an email with a personalized assessment. And that's how people are using it. They're taking it into the GP. It's helping making sense of their symptoms. And then we have a private menopause clinic, so which Dr. Spencer leads. Um, and we, we have some brilliant doctors. And you know, inclusivity is really important to us. So um, one of our doctors is uh, Nigerian. Another of our doctors is British Indian. Um, because it's that saying you cannot be what you cannot see. And there are, you know, the, the, the experience of um, black and minoritized women is different. There are even more inequalities in the healthcare system, but also cultural differences will impact how you experience menopause as well. And so we wanted to have a, a clinic of doctors who, who, who are inclusive and really understand and can bring, bring that thinking um, to bear. Um, and what's really important to us is the doctors that we hire, the, they can't just be they have to be brilliant doctors and really understand menopause but really important they have to be kind they have to be brilliant listeners and empathetic and they have the mindset of that it's about co-creating the right treatment plan with their patients and not telling somebody what to do because you know i'm 55 you know i think we can trust women to make the right decisions for them when they're given the right evidence and information and support them on that journey. How are you raising awareness as to how, how are you leading people towards it as a, as a platform? So we've, um, all the all the important but kind of boring, but we've optimized for SEO so people can find us. You know, we, we, we designed the website with that in mind, but we're out there in Facebook and in Google. We obviously use Google to, to help with appointments and stuff, but we do loads of free events. So since we've launched over a year ago, uh, we've done or taken part in well over 70 free events. So we, we did a free event on the menopause and color time for an inclusive conversation at the beginning of the month with uh, Dr. Wakoma and Dr. Singh to talk about the experience of black and minoritized women and to really get some evidence around are the symptoms different? Are the ages different? What difference does culture make? We've got a free event tomorrow night on menopause in the workplace. We've done lots of free events on menopause and sex. So we, you know, we, 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 as I say, we're self-funding, so we, we strive constantly to keep the balance of the investment that we're making in our clinic because we need to pay our own way in life. But that's what funds all of the free things that we can do. And partnerships are really important. We, we're working increasingly with businesses to go in and deliver menopause workshops, and they're providing increasingly menopause care with one of our doctors as a benefit in kind. And that enables us to reach women who otherwise wouldn't be able to afford a private prescription, which, which, which is great. So, so look, we, we, we campaign as much as we can, you know, working with you and campaign, writing pieces, um, because we, we're really passionate about it. I think I, I read this brilliant book. I mentioned it in one of my articles called Cassandra Speaks. And it's a fascinating insight and story about how stories have been told by men for millennia. And, we, I think women are finding their voice globally. Um, and I feel really passionate about, you know, the, the power of women coming together and working with men, working with everyone, you know, non-binary, trans, this is about everybody working together. But if we have more female energy in the world, I really believe the world will be a better place. And if we go to the root cause, then my rational brain is again, if we can help women to not fall out of life when they go through menopause, we will have better workplaces. We will, I really believe, we'll have a better society. Mm. 
We spoke just before about um, the need to educate and obviously a lot of people get educated by their partners, but there has been some brilliant menopause initiatives in the industry. Channel 4 led the way in 2019 with its menopause policy. Dark Horse has introduced an open source menopause policy and just yesterday Ogilvy UK became the first ad agency to receive official accreditation as menopause friendly workplace. Kate, um, what does proper support look like? Well, I think I'm I, I applaud the people who are already genuinely doing something about it. And I think Melissa at Dark Horses is absolutely fantastic the way she talks about it in particular. Um, I, th- I think what's really important is, it sounds like an obvious thing to say, but I think it's really important, is to have an open culture. And I've worked in, in industries where there's, there's been the opposite from an open culture. And if you don't have an open culture, how can you expect people to be open about their own feelings? without being judged. So I think that's really important is to create that kind of that kind of environment where if you're feeling even if it's not to talk about the menopause, if it's to, to talk about something else, that you can feel open and happy and encouraged and relaxed and safe to have those conversations. Mm. Um, menopause policies are really important. Um, and equally important is to make sure that everybody knows that you've got one. Because um, I've talked to a few people who who said, "Oh, I didn't know that we had one." In some places where they have actually created really good, robust policies, so equally important is to make sure that you talk about it. And actually, if just by talking about that, that helps open the conversation in itself. Mm. I think um, just thinking with my with my NABS hat on, um, NABS is all about supporting the individual. It doesn't matter what that ind- who that individual is. Um, and increasingly, we're trying to trying to support. Um, everybody in all its diverse forms. And diversity, as I was saying earlier, um, includes women of a certain age and and trans and non-binary as well. I should make Mm -hmm. sure that we include that. Um, And support needs to be tailored to the individual because we all go through this in in a different way. And it is personal. And so that needs to be taken into account as well. It's not a one size fits all. Uh, policy. Uh, so I think those are the really important things. So talk to, if you're a leader, talk to the people who you are leading, encourage them to come to you and talk to you. People can also come plug for NABS, come to NABS and talk to us. Um, it's completely confidential, as you know, Imogen and impartial. And there are quite a few of us on the NABS team who have been there. And so who are um, not only sympathetic, but empathetic. And I think that's really important. Mm. Despite better recognition of the need of menopause policies, um, I've noticed a fair few agencies still don't offer one. Um, Why aren't we doing more to help those going through it? And is it likely to change anytime soon? Well, that's a big that's a big question. Um, I think these things do take time. They shouldn't. Um, And I don't want to be all sexist about this, but we really need to get men behind this movement, if you can call it a movement. While still the majority of leaders in the industry are male, that is changing, which is wonderful, but it takes like a juggernaut, isn't it? It's taking a very long time. So I think we need to open the conversation beyond just women. Um, that sounds like a really obvious thing to say, um, but I, hopefully it's it's important, always seen as important. And it's, it, it's, as Helen said earlier, it's a diversity and inclusion issue. DE&I is high on everybody's agenda at the moment, as it should be. Um, and this is very much a part of that and should be... Um, uh, be brought more to the fore than it currently is. Um, but there is an encouraging start, as you, you mentioned, the Channel 4 policy, Dark Horses again. And they're all really useful 
to refer to if your agency has yet to create a menopause policy. And if if you're in an agency that doesn't have one, why don't you become the person that instigates that? You know, stick your hand up and say, right, I'm going to take this on because I feel passionately about it. And you don't have to be somebody who is going through the menopause. It would be wonderful if it was somebody, if, if it was somebody who wasn't and maybe who is a man who thinks, actually, I think this mm. is a really important issue. Why don't I do something? And it may mm. become an even more powerful message if that were the case. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's a great idea, idea, Kate. And, and also idea. just to point out <laughs> but, that the um, Dark Horses <laughs> menopause policy and also Channel 4, they're both um, open source as well. So they've been, mm. you know, shared around, haven't they? So they, they can be used by anyone in the industry. So there's no excuse for not having a menopause policy. Yeah, exactly. Policy. <laughs> because, you know, they're, they're both brilliant policies. Yeah. Um, I mean, I was quite surprised by the fact that one in 10 women leave the workplace around the time they're in perimenopause or menopause, which for me sounds, it's quite a huge stat. Yeah, yeah, it is. And wrong. Just just a real shame. We're losing talent. We've all, we're already losing talent from the industry for a variety of other reasons. But to lose talent for this reason is completely crazy and it, it can't it can't continue that's one of the way to get businesses on board so the moral imperative aside and there is clearly a moral imperative but if you look if you look at the cost of replacing talent um and in the um, women's and equalities committee report that was published um a few months ago uh, one of the very useful submissions that was made to quantified the cost of replacing somebody and and we all know you've got the the, the amount of time it takes to recruit, what you pay to a headhunter or you know recruitment fees and, and then the time it takes for them to get up to speed. So we, we, we can, and it, there's a lot that we can do to quantify the impact on a business. And in a, in a world of um, a tight labor market, it's kind of madness to think that you would let that expertise walk out your door and not even be aware of it. And this is the thing, many senior leaders are possibly not even aware of this being one of the reasons because it's never been spoken about. Mm. And and we touched on this when we were talking about advertising in general, but I was talking to our commercial editor, Suzanne Bidlake, about the need to sex up the term menopausal woman. Um, and she was saying, despite all the new awareness around menopause, women of this age are often seen on, as on the way out um, and pitied for their symptoms. So how can brands or agencies who are setting up policies um, handle it better so that people at work don't feel like they're being pitied? Um, so I would say it's it's about um, making it really normal um, and, you know, getting people um, to to be, you know, basically courteous to each other. So if someone needs to bring a fan into a meeting because they may be having a hot flush, then, you know, that's absolutely fine in just the same way as, you know, it would be fine for, you know, someone to take a break because they needed to go and, you know, um, use a breast pump, for example. So I think that, um, you know, we need to, as as we've all said, you know, we need to normalise this. We need to be open about it. Um, and we need to make sure that women who are in this kind of midlife stage are celebrated for the work that they're doing um, in just the same way and recognised in just the same way as, you know, all other talent mm -hmm, is. Mm -hmm. Now, Jen, you've recently written an illuminating feature that digs into the $600 billion menopause market. Research you mentioned in the piece from menopause movement Gen M was uh, quite telling. It found 90% of menopausal women wish brands were more inclusive of, the, um, of menopause and 87% felt overlooked by brands. Why do you think there's been such a slow uptake and, and how are things improving? Um, I think that, um, you know, 
menopause is um, still highly stigmatized um, and a lot of women are themselves scared to admit they're um, going through it for fear is uh, for fear of being seen as um, irrelevant, um, you know, half of us actually go through menopause and the other half are related to work with or friends with um, those who will go through it. Um, so obviously we need brands to be on this journey with us of um, awareness and openness. Um, and yeah, I would argue that, you know, we need their support mm-hmm. um, where it's relevant and where it's well researched. Mm. The other day I saw that Boots had introduced a menopause-friendly symbol, which points people in the directions of products and services that might help with some signs and symptoms of menopause. Helen, as former CMO CMO of Boots, why is this so welcome? I think um, anything that helps raise awareness of menopause and helps point women to solutions to manage the symptoms is a good thing. Um, I think what's really important uh, to touch on uh, Jen's excellent article is that as uh, somebody said in there, it's really important to point solutions that are evidence-based though, and that will help people. So, you know, you're, you're, you're not throwing, you know, good money after bad. And so that's where I think having symbols, you know, working with a trusted retailer like Boots um, will really help uh, women uh, with the, the, the very many symptoms of the menopause. Uh, but it is important, I think, to look at menopause holistically and to frame it in the broader context of society. Jen, you wrote about the need for brands to prepare consumers for menopause marathon and how opinions are divided as to what menopause should look like in the commercial world, with allegations of menoploitation and meno washing just around the corner. Can you unpack that? Sure. So I think that um, because menopause is still um, highly stigmatized um, with women um, sort of scared to admit that they're going through it for being seen as irrelevant, um, brands have a really big role to play in um, servicing the needs of this audience. Um, So there are all sorts of products that can help women um, while they're waiting to receive hormone replacement therapy. So 44% of women may have to wait sort of up to a year before they receive this this kind of treatment. Um, And in the meantime, or alongside that treatment, um, they're looking for products. Um, So for example, like shampoos or supplements, which can help alleviate some of the 48 symptoms of menopause. Um, And, you know, don't forget, this can be how um, whole industries are formed, um, serving the needs of consumers. So just to look at the market for um, plant-based food, um, which is already worth about $650 million pounds just in the UK, um, when vegans only make up around 3% of the UK population. Women make up um, 51% of the UK population and all of them will go through menopause at some point um, with varying degrees of symptoms. So why shouldn't brands serve their needs? Mm-hmm. Now, Monlo's research, The Invisible Powerhouse, carried out by Kantar, found that 47% of UK adults are in their 50s and just 12% of UK ads feature someone from that age group in a leading role. Helen, what does this tell us? Why is this happening? Um, I think the, so that was a great piece of research and it confirms the evidence of our eyes when we switch on the telly or listen to some advertising. So, and I think the reasons are deep rooted. I think it goes back to ageism in society, particularly in Western society. And the, uh, I think the misogyny that we're still living with, you know, it's been around for thousands of years. Uh, I would say many, because we've grown up with it and it's so ingrained, it's become invisible. And I think what we're finding now is that there, you know, there are generations now of women coming through that have met at the senior roles in organizations, in politics and in government 
and they're not accepting the status quo and they're calling out the misogyny that is there. And, and, I, and I speak as one of those women, I feel, you know, in going through menopause and as I hit my 40s and 50s, these, I became more aware of these, these, these issues, issues and the challenges that are there. So there, there are two things for me in this. Is one is we need more women of all ages in our ad industry. Because I really believe that if we have more representation of women in media agencies and creative agencies, you know, in, in whatever, you know, strand or discipline that you're in, we will get to better representation in front of the screen because we will have people who understand that target market and that audience. And we don't have that today. You know, the, 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 the ageism is rife in our industry for men and women. We know from all the data that's out there that the proportion of people who are over the age of 50 in our industry is something like 5%, but it's even more acute for older women. Um, and that plays out to what we see in our screens. And not only do we not see women of all ages in our screens, when we do see them very often, they are the views of somebody who is significantly younger or who really just doesn't understand that target audience. So it's misrepresentation, which is infuriating. So we see all the stereotypes played out. And menopause clearly has a role to play in this because as Jen said, you know, all women will go through the menopause, you know, in, in, in one way or the other. And we know that the vast majority of women will experience symptoms. Um, you know, we can talk about 30, 40, 50 symptoms. It doesn't matter. It's not about the number. It's about what your experience is. So helping women understand the solutions that are there and empowering them with that information so that they can make the choices that are best for them. And I, I, I think it's really helpful to see this as an and conversation, not an or. It's not about HRT or something else. It's not about supplements and no HRT. Most of the women that the doctors in our clinic see, and most of the people that I speak to in our menopause community at my menopause center, they need and solutions. You know, if you really want to set yourself up for health span as well as lifespan, it's about nutrition, it's about exercise, it's about sleep, it's about meditation, it might be cognitive behavioral therapy. And we know that the evidence clearly shows that for most women, most of the time, HRT is the most effective way of managing symptoms. But it's not a silver bullet and you might want to try other things. So I think brands present and workplaces present an amazing opportunity to get the facts and the information out there to empower women. For me, this our movement should be all about empowering women to make the mm -hmm. choices that are right for them. I'd like to add to that with um, with a point that um, you made, Helen, um, in the feature that I wrote. So um, you said that you know we don't need the um, we don't need the I IPA census um, to tell us that um, you know women of uh, over fifty are um, underrepresented in um, the the ad industry. The average age in creative is thirty six years old, and in media is thirty four years old. Um, and you know this this really matters because if you have middle aged women um, creating, producing, directing, and approving ads, you're much more likely to get the authentic portrayal that we need. Um, and so recently, there's been a program by um, WPP to um, um, it's the Visible Start program, um, and they have uh, employed 19 women who are in the kind of stage of midlife. They're, they're age 45 and over. Um, and while this is not directly related to the menopause, um, it is designed to get uh, midlife women into the ad industry. Um, so 
you know, I mean, it's important not to conflate age with menopause because mm. menopause can happen um, at much younger ages too. Mm. Um, but obviously it is, it is really important that we get more representation of midlife women in the ad industry. Mm. Mm, for sure. I'm sorry, I just say that that is an excellent program as well. I know people who've gone through it and I've put friends into it because I think Jen um, is absolutely right. It's about bringing women back into the workplace, many who've left the, to bring up families and feel that um, they're past their shelf life, that they're not, they can't get those digital skills. It's building up confidence and giving them the skills because they will make brilliant contributions. But it's also about retention. And I think, you know, it's, it, it's, it's, it's about, you know, bringing people in, but retaining the brilliant women that you have and, and, and making sure that you don't lose all of that amazing, you know, experience that they bring to bear and the skills that they have. Mm-hmm. To go back to um, representing menopausal women in advertising, can you name any brands that you've seen that are opening up the conversation around menopause and destigmatizing it with their advertising? I think it's a um, it's. It's very tricky um, to point to any brands that are doing that are that are doing it really really well. I mean, uh, on a personal level, I found the um, the tenor the recent tenor ad, um, the last lonely menopause, which was um, created by um, AMB uh, BBDO. Um, I found that really mm. um, kind of moving. I found it really emotive. I found it really inspiring. Um, but then having gone through the process of, um, written, writing the, the feature, um, about brands and the menopause, um, I found that there were a lot of women who'd received it very differently, mm. um, and had seen it as, um, sort of patronizing and, um, once again, putting women into, um, the stereotypical boxes of, um, you know, and, and, uh, stereotyping the symptoms in terms of, you know, we, we get hot flushes, we get, mm. uh, a hairy chin, we get this we get that and um you know people are um put into these boxes which obviously if you don't have the representation in the ad agencies when you come to create um or the the broad enough base of research when you come to create this work mm-hmm. um you're always going to get those um allegations of one-sidedness or, or stereotyping mm-hmm. um when you come to you know put the work out mm-hmm. um, sure. yeah so i think it's really it's really difficult for for ad agencies to to get the balance right mm-hmm. um and they need to they need to be listening to midlife women in mm-hmm. in the creation of the ads just on the tenor ad because i agree with jen i really like that campaign but um i know some people found, found a patronizing look with advertising you 10 people in a room you have 10 points of view on anything but one of the reasons that I really liked it about it, so when you think about all the different symptoms of menopause, there you know there are physical symptoms and psychological symptoms. Some carry greater stigma and taboo than others, and uh, you know a leaky bladder is 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 very stigmatizing, and there are so many women who are just so reluctant to have the conversation and to go ask for help. So I think Tana did the world a great service by putting it out into advertising, stimulating the conversation. And if you looked at the customer journey that that campaign enabled, it took women to a place where they could find more information about their pelvic floor, about what causes their leaky bladder and what solutions are out there. Because, you know, for some women, HRT might help with a leaky bladder, but for other women, it might not. So that's what it's an end. It's not a confrontational or you can use tenopads or use HRT. You probably, you know, you might be able to alleviate the symptoms, but Anything that destigmatizes loss of libido, vaginal dryness, leaky bladders, brain fog can only be a good thing because otherwise women are hiding these symptoms from others because they're they're terrified in many cases that people 
will look at them, judge them, and particularly in the workplace, think that they're not yeah, up for it. I completely mm-hmm. agree. Mm-hmm. I think I think it's it's easy to feel patronised, and it's easy to it's easy to kind of turn off from even an attempt of at making the conversation happen. But at least there is an attempt to make the conversation happen. That's what I that's what I think. But I I agree with them um, with what was said before about if you don't have if you don't have middle aged women represent or, or pre um, middle aged women represented properly in your creative departments, then the creative output is not necessarily always going to be on point. Um, so, uh, but, but Helen, you're absolutely right. Of course, you put 10 people in the room and you say, what do you think of this idea? Then they're all going to have different opinions. But I think at least the conversation is happening. That's all we've got time for. Thank you, Kate, Jen and Helen for joining the podcast today. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. the final part of the podcast today is where we review some of the latest ads. Joining me, I have campaign's creative reporter, Charlotte Rawlings. Welcome. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Let's start with Bombay Sapphire's Saw This, Made This by Abbott Mead Vickers BBDO. It comes from the mind of film director Baz Luhrmann. You might remember him from such films as Moulin Rouge, Romeo and Juliet and Elvis. Shot on the streets of Buenos Aires and filmed with a Bombay sapphire bluish hue, the work frames everyday scenes from a corridor to a balloon drifting down the street to highlight how inspiration can spark from unlikely places. Let's listen. Not bad, actually. I think we're close. Just roll about, you want to check the frame? Let's go, time to shoot. The thing that caught my attention about this project was the idea of putting out there a campaign, a message, a story, a big idea for everyone, not just creative artists, to think about looking at the world around them and reframing it. Because when people ask me where I draw my creative inspiration from, I've always said, I just start looking right in front of me. Charlotte is a certified film buff. What do you think this brings to the spirit? Are you a fan? Certified film buff makes me sound so much more important than I actually am. Um, but yeah, I have to say, I I did think Baz Luhrmann's involvement was a bit random, mm. but I guess the same could be said for like a lot of celebrities that work with brands. Mm-hmm. Um, and to be honest, he's such a huge name. I just thought, wow, like good on you, Bombay. Like not sure where he fits into this, but you've got my mm. attention anyway. Mm. Um, so even if they are just using his name to drive the hype, it's an effective tactic. Um, but also I do think like drinks, drinks brands are kind of like perfume brands where they don't really have a lot to work with other than this tastes mm. nice or like this smells nice if it's a perfume brand. So I think what Baz Luhrmann adds here is a chance to think outside the box and mm-hmm. go further than the this tastes nice route. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a beautiful film and it's memorable because of that. Mm-hmm, for sure. And of course, there's the business challenge with advertising alcohol because there's a fine line between encouraging people to drink, which is obviously the end goal. Um, and not inspiring excessive drinking. So do you think the Stir Creativity platform helps them get around that? Um, does boozing gin make you more creative? I would <laughs> um, agree, agree with yeah, that. Yeah, I'm sure if you drank enough gin, those yeah. creative juices would uh, definitely be flowing. But, um, I guess that's kind of relevant to what I was just saying about how they mm-hmm. haven't really got much to work with. And with the restrictions on top of that, it's like, how do we promote this product without it being ridiculously boring? Mm-hmm. Um, I think they definitely achieved that here. Um, even though creativity and inspiration might seem like a tenuous link to gin, mm-hmm. um, through this idea, they've created a really pretty visually pleasing film that does impact how you view the brand. Like mm-hmm. now I look at Bombay Sapphire and I think 
you're a sexy gin. Like, mm. that is a sexy brand. I'm gagging so. for a G&T after watching it. Exactly. So, mm. yeah, he doesn't want that. Yeah. And next time I, I order one, I probably would go Bombay Sapphire. Exactly. So, so it works. It works. The next one got a lot of love in the campaign office. Pablo's work for Resuscitation Council, the mannequin you'd want to save. Sex education star Connor Swindles fronts the campaign, which has been devised to get young people involved in CPR training. Let's listen. I do my own stunts. Okay, so you know me as Connor Swindells, star of BAFTA award-winning shows like Sex Education and Hollywood movies like Barbie. But what you may not know about Connor Swindells is that he also does charity. So when Resuscitation Council UK needed a big name to help teach the public CPR, I said absolutely. They wanted me to perform CPR on a dummy. I said sure. Now, I was sold on this campaign when you guys shared how it had gone a little vi uh, viral on TikTok. Um, obviously, the task of getting people engaged in CPR training isn't easy. What did you like about it? Um, I think this is, again, another example of how using a famous face in a campaign like mm -hmm. really does bits because that TikTok went viral because of Connor Swindles. Mm -hmm. Like, Sex education is very popular with the younger generation and that's going to intrigue them. Um, and what was the TikTok? What was, what was the, why were they so going? So someone was just, someone just filmed the TikTok and they said, I think the caption was um, like, oh, Connor Swindles in this, in this ad is like, has got me in stitches. Mm. Um, and they were just filming the ad and like reacting to it. Mm. Um, and everyone in the TikTok comments were talking about how much they loved him. Mm -hmm. um, and someone in the comments even said like, it was such a good idea to teach CPR with comedy. Mm -hmm. And I agree. That was like one of the first things that I thought of when I watched it. I think it makes something that seems quite scary mm -hmm. and intimidating a lot more accessible. Mm -hmm. And that's going to appeal to everyone, like no matter what age you are. Mm -hmm. It kind of also, it the first thing I thought of when I watched it was the... Vinnie Jones mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. CPR ad that he did for British Heart Foundation. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it goes to show famous faces work. Yeah, we were, me and Gurdjieff were talking about that and we sort of realised that you're quite limited on how much you can do with resuscitation because there's each mm. ad is to kind of to show people how to do it and get people doing it. And to have, the, they're both quite different ads in the sense yeah. that they're also quite similar. Um, but you're right, like the humor aspect of it, it's kind of like with these things, it can feel quite doom and gloom. Yeah. If you don't learn CPR, someone might die. Mm. And I think sort of, yeah, making it memorable, making it stick in, stick in people's minds is actually quite a hard thing to do. But yeah, they smashed it. and young people have like a shorter attention span, I feel only because of like stuff like TikTok, where yeah. you're just used to short form entertainment. So they really have their work cut out for them to grab their attention mm -hmm. when it comes to something mm -hmm. quite serious. Mm. Um, especially something that's normally taught in schools and people like might switch off. So yeah, yeah no, it was really well done. And we've learned there's a new spelling of mannequin, which, <laughs> yes. yeah, it's, um, I, I, I kept writing mankini. So it's good that we've clarified that it's a different spelling. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's uh, yeah, a lot of education. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> me the medical grade um, yeah. mannequins is spelled M-A-N-I-K-I. N I, I? <laughs> um, I still can't get it right, but yeah, it looks yeah. like Mankini at first sight. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, the Mankini you'd want to save. <laughs> uh, the next Borat film. Uh, <laughs> last but not least is our pick of the week: the Gucci Palace Galactic crossover film, announcing their hotly anticipated collection. In the opening scene, it appears a spaceship has arrived on Earth, so it comes as a surprise to see a flying corner shop. 
a signal that Palace has firmly landed in Gucci's high fashion domain. As the two brands collide, a rave ensues as humans among aliens dance to prodigies out of space. Let's have a listen. Sorry we're late, traffic was a nightmare. What did you make of it, Charlotte? Bizarre, but <laughs> also- I love it when they go bizarre though. <laughs> but also so cool. Like yeah. this shows a lot of ideas being thrown together and mm-hmm. I think it works really well because they needed to throw lots of ideas together mm-hmm. because it's trying to bring t- two very different brands together. Mm-hmm. So why not go just absolutely bonkers with it? Mm-hmm. Um, and in that way, the alien invasion feels very fitting because it's something very unknown, disrupting the norm. Maybe I'm looking too deeply into it. No, 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 please do. Um, and it's also one of those ads where there's just so much going on. You never get bored of watching it because there's new things to see each time. Um, it took me a good three watches to notice that last shot of the alien taking a bath because it flashes up mm. on the screen so quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it makes me think like Gucci knows its audience really well and mm knows how to appeal to other audiences like with the skateboarder cameos for example they can adapt to anything while also maintaining their own vibe Mm -hmm. like elements of this campaign were quite similar to the stanley kubrick campaign Mm -hmm. a couple of weeks ago which is interesting since they're two completely different things Mm -hmm. but yeah um also i've had the music stuck in my head all morning and it's not even lyrics it's just noises yeah yeah exactly (laughs) no i think it's interesting what alessandra and michelle's bringing to gucci i think each ad that comes along as you say we have the francis bourgeois Mm. north face ad again it's sort of streetwear mixing with high fashion and it feels like sort of you know Burberry was our pick of the week last week we did discuss whether you know it's quite yeah it just feels like those two are kind of working against each other in a weird way of these really brilliant films I don't know maybe Gucci's got the lead I don't know I don't know they both got that sort of surreal dreamlike Mm. sequence going on I get very excited when I find out a new ad comes out and like that's what's it's Mm. it's like a treat yeah Um, the ending in particular for the Gucci ad was a particular treat um, and I've heard of many people in, in the ad industry have said that they loved it. I don't know whether they love the ad just particularly for the ending. It's a very niche thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> at the closing credits, it cuts to a meeting at an ad agency and it's inspired by Sesame Street. So you have a bunch of puppets uh, comically discussing the campaign launch. Let's have a listen. <clears throat> Thank you. The Palace Gucci campaign is this agency's greatest achievement. Bellissimo! Bravo! Bravo! When we first envisioned this Palace Gucci collaboration, people laughed. They said it couldn't be done. (laughs) (laughs) It's good drama, romance, fashion. I don't know about you guys, but I'm buzzing on it. I just love the subversive, nihilistic, cultural ennui of the subtext. Jessica, run the numbers. a 17-point upswing in quarter four. Palace Gucci is beautiful. Palace Gucci, Palace Gucci, Palace Gucci, Palace Gucci. 
so it's quite an ex- unexpected move. Um, when I was watching, you know, this really cool palace, Gucci, palace, Gucci, you know, watching it being like, oh, I don't really, you know, I wish I could afford this stuff, but it's not something that I can quite <laughs> get, dig into. And then all of a sudden it was like our world hits. And it's strange because Gucci doesn't particularly work with an ad agency. They work with production companies. It's strange how it's like they're watching us back at us yeah. while we're writing about it. They're like looking back. Um, so... You know, you said this was your favourite bit, right? Yeah, it's the bit that stood out to me the most. Like, obviously, I liked... um, Well, I guess it's all one ad, but you would say, like, the ad itself and Mm. then this sort of, like, little extra bit at the end. Like, I loved it all, but this bit really stood out to me. I just love the puppets. Like, Mm. it actually made me, like, laugh out loud. I was Mm -hmm. watching it in the office the other day. I was, like, I was trying Mm. to contain myself. Um, But, yeah, like, I think where the rest of the ad is quite... Not serious, that's not the right word because it's an alien rave. Mm. It's not serious, but it still has that. Edgy, a bit cool. Yeah, that, that high fashion yeah. vibe. It was quite fun to see these puppets at the end doing the funny voices and yeah. Gucci like not taking itself too seriously. Yeah. Um, it's probably at Adlan's expense, but still. Oh, fully <laughs> at Adlan's expense. They're, um, they're laughing at us. I thought it was so cheeky because they don't use yeah. an agency. Yeah. Um, but it's good that Adlan found it funny too, I guess. I think, yeah, so the ones with humor found it funny. I just love the bellissimo, bravo. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Well, that, that I was thinking like when I was watching it I was like not only is this reflecting the ad agencies it's also reflecting the campaign team when we're discussing oh what God, should be yeah. pick of the week literally that is us it's called drama should we use fashion. that in future yeah if definitely we're, if we're talking about it okay what I was like your, it what was your favourite puppet my favourite puppet was the lion was it a lion I was looking at it I for a I couldn't figure it out was it a yeah, bear yeah lion it was bear. like high intellect lion that yeah. had like a lot to say I like oh. the flamingo yes when it like hit the thing yeah. with its beak nice set of pearls on her as yeah. well yeah great work Gucci and Palace <laughs> okay that's all we have time for today thank you Kate Jen Helen and Charlotte for joining the podcast today If you would like to read the features we've been discussing, please visit our website at campaignlive.co.uk and do subscribe. Likewise, if you enjoyed this episode of the Campaign Podcast, please follow us wherever you listen to your podcast. A big thank you to our producer, Aidan Lyons, from Rethink Audio, and also to you for listening. I hope you will join us next time. On behalf of the campaign team, goodbye. Goodbye.